morning, Bethel. Thank you. That's better. I, I was a little worried there. I was worried I was talking to myself for a second there. Well, you all know that there are things in life that just do not go together. You hear the phrase, you know, they're like oil and water or things of that nature. I'll, I'll give you a, an example here that's happened recently uh, in my life. So I always thought I was being a helpful husband. I was loading the dishwasher. My wife was away. And I happened to grab the dish soap and not the dish detergent to load the dishwasher. And, you know, start the dishwasher. I go back upstairs to my office and I'm working away. And then all of a sudden, my overly dramatic teenage daughter screams from downstairs like the house is burning down. And so I run downstairs only to find out that there are bubbles all over our kitchen floor. So I, I learned that day that you would think dish soap and a dishwasher would go together, but they don't. Dish soap and dishwashers do not go together, and I, I learned the hard way. What we're going to look at today, something, sometimes things in the Bible just don't seem to fit, kind of like oil and water. And what we're going to look at today, this is one of them. We'll start out here in Joshua chapter 2. As you all know, we are in week two of our series in Joshua. So let's start reading here. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into a house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, this story of this individual that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the Battle of Jericho in the weeks to come. This is kind of leading up to that. This story of Rahab doesn't seem to really fit in the Bible. We're going to parse that out today. You know, Daniel, the lion's den, and the courage that Daniel showed, that fits. Rahab, the harlot, not so much. We admire David for killing Goliath, but we're not so sure about Rahab the harlot telling a lie. You know, I remember singing a song as a kid in kids' church. You know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. You know, if you grew up in church, you may have sang that as a kid. But I don't know of any songs, kids' songs, about Rahab. Never heard one. So you've heard me say it several times, and we read it in the first verse, but let's begin with the fact that Rahab was a harlot. That means she was a part of what has been called the world's oldest occupation. The Bible does not cover up this fact about Rahab. Three times in Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, and then twice in Joshua chapter 6, she is called a harlot or a prostitute, depending on your translation you're reading from. And then the New Testament actually mentions it twice. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab in Hebrews chapter 11. And then James chapter 2 verse 25, Rahab the prostitute. That's five mentions in the Bible when you would think this one that we just read in Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 would be enough. Evidently, God wants us to think of the word prostitute when we think of Rahab. It's not an easy fact for us to face. 
I think in our society, we are faced in this over-sexualized society. You know, Hollywood has glamorized prostitution so that it doesn't even really feel that ugly. Sex has become so casual that we really aren't shocked by anything anymore. When you think about the over-sexualization of our, of our society, how pornography has become one of the leading industries in our culture, only behind the medical industry. Can you believe that from a revenue perspective? It's everywhere you look. Although our generation may not believe it, sexual sin leaves a deep, deep scar on the soul. Those who say they feel no guilt about it, they are only lying to themselves. Our culture has become so obsessed with sex. It is everywhere you look. Almost every TV show, if not alludes to it, has something openly about it. You cannot walk into the store, turn on the radio without being faced with the over-sexualization of our culture. This month, our culture celebrates a particular type of sex that they have turned into an identity. We live in an age where it is everywhere we look. And so the Bible makes it very clear by mentioning it five times, wanting you to remember Rahab's past. One wonders if Rahab had given up any hope for a better life. If she had, it would be understandable, but God had other plans for her. He can turn shame into glory in one shining moment of redemption. The biblical record does not give us many details about Rahab. We know she lived in Jericho on the city walls. She was evidently well known to the men of the city because the two spies had no trouble finding her house. And the king of Jericho knew who she was and where she lived. But there are many things we don't know. The scripture does not tell us about Rahab. We don't know how she became a harlot. We don't know her family background. We don't know her religion except that she was not raised to believe in the God of the Bible. We don't know if she was hungering for a better life when the two spies came to her home. But what we do know is that by the time we get to the end of this story, Rahab, the prostitute, becomes Rahab the child of God. And we know she is included in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see a well, almost a hall of fame of Old Testament characters listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And when you look at the people that she is included with, you'll realize how remarkable her story really is. When you look at Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 
Moses, Rahab. Wow. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the, two, to the spies. It's mind-blowing to think about it. In one fell swoop, God reaches down and rearranges all of her categories. When the Bible tells a story, it makes no attempt to cover up the characters of the Bible, their sordid past. She is truly a scarlet woman whose reputation will follow her until the day she dies. Choices have consequences, and just as we remember things about other characters in the Bible, we remember about Peter that he denied the Lord three times. We remember that about Judas, that he was the one who betrayed Christ, and so we say Rahab was a harlot. Note the past tense, was. That's what she was, but through the grace of God, she became a woman of faith. So let's look at how did this story happen. We see that there was a hopeless beginning. Rahab at least had three or four things going against her in her Canaanite culture. She was a woman. Number one, she lived in a world where women were routinely victimized and brutalized. By including Rahab's story, God wants us to know that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Even in that degraded age, a woman could be included on an equal basis with men in the household of faith. Second of all, we see that she was a Gentile. She was not a part of God, the covenant of God made with Abraham and his descendants. She was a foreigner to the grace of God. She starts our story as a complete outsider. She did not belong to the Israelites, and yet by faith she was accepted by God and his people when the attack came on Jericho. She was spared while the city around her was destroyed. Her life illustrates God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that through his descendants all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Third, she was a pagan. She was raised in an atmosphere of depraved idol worship and absolute gross immorality. Rahab certainly would have known about the Canaanite practice of child sacrifice, and we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. And maybe she participated in it. Even though she had heard of the God of the Israelites, she knew nothing about him except for his mighty work and his miracles. The Torah was unknown to her. She did not know about the writings of Moses. And as the story begins, we have no reason to think she would be sympathetic to the Jew, two Jewish spies. And we definitely would not expect her to risk her life to save them. Fourth, and as we have already drawn out, she was a harlot. Some wish to downplay the fact and seek to soften the impact by, tra by translating the word as innkeeper in some translations will do that to the injustice of the story, but there is no need to do that. Rahab sold her body for money. We don't need to cover up the fact or try to explain it away. The fact that she was a harlot, it only magnifies the grace of God by demonstrating 
someone with that background can find home in the family of God. Grace is for sinners. And only sinners need to be saved. So Rahab stands as a beacon of hope for those who are bruised, broken, hurting, fallen men and women everywhere need to look to the story of Rahab and say, there is hope for me. If you feel that way, then consider that Rahab was a harlot and at this very moment, she is in heaven. God can save her. He can save you too. Some people think she doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but that judgment reveals how little we understand about the grace of God. A woman guilty of repeated sexual sin might not seem like a good candidate for salvation, but appearances can be deceiving. Not every church member is as righteous as they appear on Sunday morning, and not every sinner is as far from the kingdom of God as we sometimes assume. God has his people everywhere, even in the most unlikely places. You wouldn't think a fallen woman in Jericho would end up in Hebrews chapter 11, but that's exactly what happened. His grace is so amazing that he will not only save notorious sinners, he can also save self-righteous church people. We may read the story and say there is grace even for people like Rahab, but the word even gives away us away because it unconsciously puts us at a dis- different level as if our sins are not as bad as hers. It's an interesting thought to think about. But as Romans 3.22 says, there is no difference, no difference in our sin. No difference in old, rich, young, poor, slave, free, male, female versus you know, a culture versus this group or that group. As Romans 3.23 puts it, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all means all. We're all on the same boat and a boat that is going down. Our sin, all of our sin, is as equally abhorrent to a holy God. It's not enough to say there is grace even for people like Rahab. I'm glad that there is grace for people even like Robert Hodges. That's the only way we'll get to heaven. So we see a hopeless beginning. We're going to see her remarkable conversion. Let's read about her story in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they, came, where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. 
But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fjords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Imagine, it was probably hard for her to believe. We can imagine the many reasons why she might not have a belief. She took great risk when she sheltered these spies and then lied to her king. Lying to her king for two strangers she knew nothing about why would she do it? In the verses we just read, it says that she had heard the stories of what God had done to the people of Israel. Think about how those stories were filling the land. How the mightiest army in, in the world, Pharaoh's army, was swallowed up by the Red Sea after the nation of Israel walked across on dry ground. How they had taken out the Amorite kings. Ray, rumors had spread like wildfire, but only Rahab had the foresight to believe the Lord himself was at work in all that had happened to the Jews. Where does such foresight come from? I believe that it was opened her eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit that, so that she took the same information others had, had had and she came to a proper conclusion. She'd come to a conclusion that she was going to be on the side of the true God. She went even as far as to make provisions for her own family in verse 12. Now then, please Swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Here's a sign of a true conversion. You know, the gospel means good news. And when you come to saving faith in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing you want to do is share it with those who are close to you. She has a concern for the safety of her family. She doesn't want to be saved alone. She wants to make sure that her family is saved with her. She heard the truth about God and she believed it and she testified to it. And that faith led her to act courageously in the face of great danger. She hid the spies. She lied about it to her king and then sent them out secretly. In a moment of great crisis, she became a traitor to her own people and a follower of the true God. If discovered, she would be immediately put to death. You know, debating about her lie is a luxury that we have 4,000 years later. In most important moment in her life, she didn't hesitate or debate anything. She took a stand for 
the God she believed to be true. She protected his people. She made provision for her whole family, and she risked everything in the process. I think we as believers are going to be called to do this same thing in our culture today. We see her deliverance, her scarlet deliverance. We see the spies agreed to spare her family in the coming attack of Jericho if she tied a scarlet cord to her window. Why a scarlet cord? That seems odd. Jericho has a a scarlet cord tied from the walls of the city. Remember, she lived in the walls. And in the chaos of the coming battle, a scarlet cord would be easily seen by the attacking army. And they would know not to attack that home. But there is a deeper symbolism here. The scarlet cord reminds us of the blood of the Passover lamb. The scarlet cord, the color is no coincidence, is the scarlet cord that guaranteed her deliverance from otherwise certain death. And as soon as the spies left, Rahab tied that cord in the window so that everyone could see it. She had no idea when the attack would come, maybe a few days, a few weeks, but the cord, the scarlet cord, saved her family. You may be a religious person. You may be very moral in the eyes of others. You, I, I don't think there is anyone in here that we would put the label on a, as a harlot, and yet you may not end up as well as Rahab. You may hear the gospel over and over again and yet do nothing about it. You may believe the blood of Christ can forgive your sins, but until by faith you come to Christ confessing your sins and saying, I need the shed blood of the Lamb to cover my sins, you will not experience salvation. Rahab heard the word, and she responded to the word by tying the scarlet cord to her window. You and I must do the same thing. It's not just the hearing that saves, but it is the believing to the point that you reach out to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Days passed as the nation of Israel is on the far side of the Jordan River. Life proceeds as normal. Meanwhile, two things were happening that few people knew about. Rahab spread the word to her relatives, saying, when the attack comes, I have it on good authority to know that there's attack coming, and when it comes, don't go fight the Israelites, family. Come to my house. Stay in my home. Rahab became an evangelist to her own family. No doubt saying, the things that you've heard about the Israelites, they are true. Their God is the one true God. Another thing that happened is Joshua led the children of Israel across the Jordan toward Jericho. And that caused the men of Jericho to close the city gates in belief they could withstand any assault and any siege because their walls were so great. And we'll look at that in the weeks to come. And the ensuing destruction of Jericho, one, only one family was spared. 
the Jewish soldiers kept the promise of the two spies that, that the two spies had made. And so Rahab, the harlot, was spared in her family, and her faith caused her to reach out and guarantee the, her salvation along with her family. This is a true conversion, following the one true God. For 2,000 years, Christian scholars have seen two really timeless messages that have come from Rahab's story. First of all, we see that no one, and I mean no one, is beyond the reach of God's grace. Even in the midst of judgment, God reaches out and saves those who turn to him in faith. You may be sitting here today and you may say, Pastor Robert, you do not know about my past. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. You think about all the men she had slept with, all of that sin. You think about her stained reputation and God said, my grace is greater. My grace is greater. What's your sin? We all have sins we would rather not mention in public. And as the saying goes, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Does your past make you feel unworthy? Then you are an excellent candidate for God's grace. Only unworthy people go to heaven. The people who think they are good enough that their good works make them good enough for heaven, end up in hell. If God can save Rahab, he can save anyone, and that includes you. I would rather be Rahab the harlot who thinks they're not good enough on my way to heaven than Sally the kids' church teacher who thinks that they are good enough on their way to hell. So we see that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Second, we see that salvation means choosing Jesus. How much did Rahab know when she hid the spies and lied to the king? I would say very, very little. Just the stories that she'd heard by word of mouth. She knew that the God of Israel was the true God, and she knew she wanted to join God's people. And after sending the spies away secretly, she hung the scarlet cord out her window and she told her family that they would be safe with her. We might say that her spiritual knowledge was that of a pre k -er. She had very, very little. But she made the Bible. Not only the Bible, she made the Hall of Fame in Hebrew. Sometimes we ask, how much do you need to know to be a follower of Christ. Evidently, the answer is not very much because Rahab didn't know a lot and she knew enough to choose the right side. A little faith resting on a strong object is better than a lot of faith resting on a weak object. And Rahab put her faith in the right place. And here's good news for all of us. God does not consult your past when determining your future. I'm going to say that again. God does not consult your past when determining your future. And some of you need to take heart in that today. 
God delights to save notorious sinners. Let every sinner take heart and come to Jesus. One final word and I'm done. What happened to Rahab after Jericho? Where did she end up? We know that she was spared. We know that her life and the life of her family was saved. In Matthew chapter 1, to open the New Testament, the writer Matthew opens the book by giving us a genealogy. And the intent of Matthew was to drive a line from Abraham to Jesus to show that Jesus fulfilled not only the Abrahamic covenant that God would make a great nation, but the Davidic covenant that David, from the line of David, someone would rule from his family line for eternity, and that was Jesus Christ. So in the opening book of Matthew chapter 1, we have this long line genealogy. That as you're reading, you're like, I don't even know how to pronounce half these names. It's awful boring. Let me pick up in the middle of this genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? By Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. So if you read the genealogy, it means that Rahab, the former prostitute, became the great-great-grandmother of mighty King David. And she finds herself in the line with Jesus. If you know Jesus, one day, you will meet her in heaven. And there at last, she will no longer be Rahab the harlot. She will forever be Rahab, the child of God. I think the the words to the famous hymn written by Fanny Crosby sums up Rahab's life perfect. It says, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood. Remember that scarlet cord? To every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. God's grace is miraculous, isn't it? The Canaanites would build a thick wall around Jericho to keep God out. They couldn't keep God out. Why? Because no one is beyond God's grace. If you are Rahab, there is hope for you. If you know a Rahab, never give up praying for them. Why? Because the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus 
a pardon receives. Let's pray.